So I'm excited to get back to a place where we're setting goals. And um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's something that I've kind of been rolling around with on the family side. And we've had some guests who, who bring this up. Like we're really good at setting goals in our fitness pursuits and in our professional pursuits and in our faith pursuits of, you know, daily Bible studies, um, whatnot. And, but like setting goals with and for our family is something that I think most people don't do and something that we're kind of struggling to do. You know, some, my wife and I ask once every every week or so, it's like, what do we really want our family to accomplish? Like, what are we trying to do as a family? Um, and it's, it's a tough thing to ask because A, like you said, how do you measure it and quantify it? Um, and like, what if you fail? Like, what if you set a goal for your family and fail? What does that say about us as parents, as us as people? Um, and you know, how do you cope with that? So, um, yeah, that's something that is important. And I hope to be able to start to bring some resources through Fathers on Fire. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds podcast, where it's our goal to bring together a bunch of improvement nerds in order to start and improve evolution by providing people with a new tool set, a new skill set, and a new mindset. We're grateful that you're spending time with us today. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow our podcast and subscribe because there's sure to be good content that occurs in these conversations as we nerd out. Influence is, is really the currency of the future. You know, if you can influence 10 people, then you get so much more done, um, you know, when you do that. So it's, uh, it's I think, an exciting time, you know, for all of us as we embrace a, a seamless self and, um, you know, really get to know each other as people. And then we can serve our clients better. We can serve our employers better. We can serve our teammates better um, we'll, when we understand who they want to be uh, as a whole person and not just, you know, check the boxes and People just want to be seen and and to be able to, to feel how they are feeling. Um, I think so many times, and especially in COVID-19, like so many times we, we look for the silver lining. We want to make everything perfect and we negate how people are actually feeling. Through Father Don't Fire. Um, that's the recurring theme is like as dads, like you have to accept that you're going to fail every day uh, in your mind, in your kid's mind. But, you know, when you, when you walk away, by faith, that's the beauty, man. You get to wake up the next day um, and and give it another shot and go all in another day. All right, Improvement Nerds, this is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerd Podcast. Today, I've got a special guest that'll be nerding out with me talking about a specific topic that this individual has invested a lot of time and energy into, has researched it, and is even hosting a podcast on it. So that guest is Ryan Sullivan, and his podcast is Fatherhood on Fire. He's getting ready to celebrate his one-year anniversary of the podcast, and in that podcast, he invites guests on, and him and his guests, they discuss, you know, the, the multiple roles that individuals have in their lives, but mostly focusing in on the impact that they can have in their role as a father. Um, so that's one of his true passions. Professionally, he works in business development, uh, and a primary focus within that role is to help organizations grow and develop and to expand the services that they're offering. So I'm sure as we talk to him about his work, we're going to find that his work and his passion, he's found ways to bring those two things together. I'm just imagining 
imagining that as he helps organizations grow, he's encouraging them to grow in the right ways uh, in which their individuals, the people they employ are a big part of that so that they're, you know, growing their market, but they're also growing their people. So I'm just looking into the crystal ball. I think that might come up in our conversation. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm real excited to welcome Ryan Sullivan. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the very gracious intro. I hope we can uh, bring it to fruition. Yes, excited you're here. So before we, we started, you and I were just kind of comparing notes and talking a little bit about what it was like to be on the other side of the microphone. So you're a host, and now this is your... Uh, how many times have you been a guest on, on people's podcasts? Uh, this is the first one, man. I appreciate it. No way. I, I'm like, you know, amazed that you said yes to me. I'm, I found that I could be pretty convincing to, but I'm excited you're here. So um, I've been a guest on people's podcasts too. And they're like really short ones, like 10, 15 minutes. And you're right. It's unnerving. So yeah, it's been good. You know, introspection, just as I reflect on what we've done with Father on Fire, what I've done in my own life. So I appreciate the opportunity. I think uh, reflection is a huge part of improvement and development. So, um, you know, one thing I share with my guests and the value that I think we bring them is an opportunity to reflect on their fatherhood journey, which is something that many of us rarely have an opportunity to really do. Um, and, and I find that they really appreciate getting to dive into that part of their story. So I appreciate you kind of forcing that on me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That very insightful that taking that moment for reflection and just thinking about the experience that you've had and uh, the experience that others have had and trying to put yourself in their shoes. And that is a tremendous way to, to live your life is to try to see the world through the eyes of others. And there's growth there. Then uh, you have just this amazing opportunity then to, gain better understanding of all the different ways people can experience the same thing. So, so excited that you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're here today. So before we jump into this episode, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, In our prep, you know, I've seen that you've got in your house, did you call it the chief chaos coordinator or? Yeah, we, we just, we just brought on a a new, uh, director of cuteness and chaos, you know, courtesy of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, our, she'll be two in June and, um, yeah, so she, she, my wife and I were both still working from home full time. Um, my wife is, we're expecting our second. So being pregnant, which is in a high risk population for COVID, we opted to keep Claire home, um, almost immediately when, when things started developing. So she's been with us full-time for about four weeks and we've both been juggling full-time work and uh yeah a lot of cuteness a lot of chaos uh, it's been it's been uh, an educational experience for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd like to see her orientation packet um, <laughs> and how you're explaining to her like the key competencies and skills that she has to develop <laughs> i i would love to have created one <laughs> So out so outside of you know working from home, um, tell tell t- in in the impact of COVID. So tell us a little bit about you know when you're at home. What 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 are you doing? What's what's your role? How are you meaningful meaningfully employed right now? 
Yeah, so I work for C2, a consultant, a business development specialist. Um, we work predominantly with companies on uh, the west side of Indianapolis and in Hendricks and Morgan County, um, helping them incorporate technology into their operations. We work a lot with owner operators. Um, so businesses 20 to 100 um, that are typically we like to help bring the ceiling to the floor and close their technology gaps um, so that they don't have aspects of the organization that are way ahead technologically and others that are way behind. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's where we really help fill the need. And uh, what I, you know, how I contribute to our team is bringing new prospects and, and helping our current clients kind of explore ways that they can better use our services. So, uh, it's been a new role for me since January, and it's just been a blessing to get to work and play where I live, which mm -hmm. is something that um, has become more important to me as a, a father now. I, I can sneak home for lunch when my wife's working at home. And, well, now we're all working and living together. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but before then, you're right, having that opportunity to, you know, uh, get out of the office and go and be home just for that 30 minutes to reconnect there i'm sure it was a blessing and as we get out of this covid19 period and the precautionary steps are lessened i hope that individuals hold on to that like i enjoyed you know eating breakfast with my family or having lunch or helping my kids with schoolwork and i those those things became important to me before uh, they were always important, but I didn't I wasn't able to plug into them. But now working from home, I was able to be present for those things. And now I don't want to give those up. So as I as this lessens and we return to the workforce physically, um, I hope people try to negotiate to keep some of these things in place because this isn't all bad. Yeah, it's stressful and there's been change, but there's some good things here, too. Yeah, it's definitely been that bad. Like you said, negotiation is the perfect word. Of and and my wife and I would be go back and forth. I was like, "Are we doing the right thing by trying to continue to work so hard, or should we maybe take a step back and just soak in this time with Claire?" And then other times we just do. And like you know, I'm giving uh, piggyback rides at you know nine forty five <laughs> on a Tuesday. That's never going to happen again. So just soaking that in. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely good advice for individuals is, you know, try to think about the the joy here and you can focus on the stress you could spin out and this could be very exhausting. Um, but if you try to account for the things that are special and look at those moments, I think the last time you and I connected, you're like, we just went on a walk. It was three o'clock, you know, the sun was shining. So, you know, grab the wife, put Claire in a stroller and we went outside and just walked at three o'clock. Like, that's special. We never had the chance to do that before. So just kind of celebrating those little victories. It's you're a great reminder for people right now who are facing all this uncertainty to look for those bright spots and to celebrate them. Yeah, it's, it's, it takes work. Like you, you hit it on the nose. Um, you know, it, it takes work and effort to appreciate and, and maintain gratitude. Yes. For that. Yeah. So obviously you've got, a unique perspective on reality is that um, you can control it. You can make it um, what you want. And that's all about the attitude that you have as you approach it. So I, I'm pumped up. This is going to be a super fun episode because I'm sure everything we talk about, you're going to be able to talk about the challenges and how those things might be stressful. But I'm pretty sure you're also be able to talk about why that stress is worth it and what you can gain on the other side. 
So let's dive into that conversation so that the stage setting question I ask everyone is what nerds you out? Yeah, man. Great to you. Um, you know, I, I think just like living a, a whole life, um, you know, well integrated and grateful. Um, you know, and when I think about kind of the, the impetus for, for Hollywood on fire, uh, when I was in college and then right after college, I worked at, um, what are now called the serious fun children's camps, um, first painted turtle and then Barrettstown in Ireland and then boggy Creek in Florida. And these are camps for kids with chronic internal illnesses. So we got to host family weekends and I got to meet some of the most amazing dads and who were leading their families through the most traumatic experiences, you know, a father could ever go through, um, their child, their vision of their child's life has changed dramatically. Um, and, to see the dads that did that with grace and gratitude and just appreciation for every moment. Um, you know, even at that young age, I was 21, 22, 23. It's like, this is the dad. These are the dads that I want to be like. Um, and so when I became a dad myself, it was like, how do I, you know, fulfill that and be that dad. And that's kind of a large part of, I think what gets me so excited to be a dad is, and what made me want to start fathering on fire is to, you know, just celebrate that and, provide a platform for other dads to celebrate that. So, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of what I guess fuels me and, and gets me pumped is to really just understand life and appreciate it. Yeah. You know, that, that was something that was probably pretty unique for you to get to see and observe and probably in some ways was uncomfortable. I, I, uh, no friends. And I personally, when there's, people who are grieving or they face challenges, the last thing I want to do is to be right there and face it with them because it's terrifying. And in some ways, like I didn't have the confidence that I could stand in that place and be the person they needed me to. Um, So, you know, at that young age, um, you demonstrated leadership and, and resolve and strength by being present with those individuals who were facing these challenges. Cause I know for a lot of, individuals that's hard to do and um they make decisions that sometimes they might regret you know because they see someone suffering and they don't know how to act or behave or they don't think they could be there for that person so they shy away from it and you know i think what you had seen is that in those moments you know you're gonna grow more you're gonna learn more um than you know and you think you're like, oh, I'm I'm there for that person, and look at how I'm helping them. But reality is, is being there with them in that moment, you're really helping yourself. You're going to grow tremendously as an individual. So, I think what you're highlighting here is at a young age, you got to see how individuals face challenges, and you allowed yourself to be inspired by those things. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned I bring that up, and actually, like this last year in 2019, one of our best friends, they. Um, they, they lost their firstborn at about 20 weeks um, and really, really hit my, my wife and I. And um, probably a lot because of what you just said, um, you know, I felt compelled and, and more capable to be with them through the grieving process. We went to, you know, a walk with them, which was really uncomfortable. But, you know, having had that experience um, and the biggest thing that I learned from my camp experience and then to relay now is that people just want to be seen and and 
to be able to, to feel how they are feeling. Um, mm-hmm. I think so many times, and especially in COVID-19, like so many times we, we look for the silver lining. We want to make everything perfect and we negate how people are actually feeling. Um, and the same thing happens in business and, and in fatherhood and that everything's got to be perfect. And like, if you just have the right optimistic attitude, then, then everything works out. But people need to process that grief and process how they're feeling. Um, so setting the stage so that people can do that. Um, is is huge and it's key to success in every field business fatherhood parenting um i think in fatherhood there's been a kind of a lack of that opportunity um to process how we feel as fathers and to share it so um yeah there's just so much overlap between what we go through as parents and in our workplace that um is is just really exciting i think to be able to bring to the forefront yeah this is Definitely something that uh, is unexpected in this conversation uh, that, you know, how you got on this path and the things that you've seen in your life that have uh, allowed you to arrive uh, in the space that you're at now where you view the world in a way that it's not all rose colored glasses, but it's reality and you respect that uh, grieving is an important emotion and experiencing anger or frustration and stress. And yeah, if you just bury those things, they fester and they become far worse versus creating the spaces where those things can be experienced and that individual is not judged for experiencing those things so that they're able to deal with those emotions and um, grow through those emotions and move into the more healthier emotions. Because if if uh, if they're stuck and they don't feel safe to experience or grieve, they really don't have an outlet, and you know those things can really overtake them. Versus those who are given the space, they can you know uh, experience those things in a healthy way. And I've seen individuals um, grieve in very healthy, creative ways. So you and I, we. Uh, talked in our in our pre pre roll about Iron Man that yeah. you you did Louisville 2018 I did Louisville 2018 and you know I've done a couple of marathons and I've done some charity running and you know every day I've every time I've shown up and I tried to do those really challenging things that not just me that's out on that race course pushing and enduring and trying to you know beat the course. I'm backed by individuals who are rooting for me and I have a purpose. So when I did charity running at the Chicago Marathon, I was raising funds for the Shriners Children's Hospital because my cousin, her daughter, had a pretty bad diagnosis with uh, an an inoperable tumor and uh, it was causing a lot of pain and curvature of her spine. So she went through a lot of orthopedic procedures. And every time you saw this, her name's Savvy. So every time you saw Savvy, she was just this ball of energy. She, you know, was obviously in pain, but she had this outlook on life is that I can endure these things because it's, they're worth overcoming to live the life I want. And she just had this spirit about her. And she was probably at the time like five or six. And I was a 21-year-old. And she impressed upon me that, you know, try to, to live your life 
in any way that you can. You can't control everything, but you can always control how you show up. So I, I did charity running for her. And then when I did Ironman, it was yet another run that we did while raising funds for charity. And my college roommate was raising funds for the milk bank and for Make-A-Wish because um, they, like your friend that you just had mentioned, had suffered a terrible loss with, with in regards to a newborn. And it was abrupt. It was very shocking, totally unexpected. The child had no um, indication of poor health. And they just woke up one day and their entire life's changed. And it was hard. Um, but, you know, they, as a family, rallied around each other and set their sights on living a happy life and continue to celebrate their lost child's life in a way that was joyful. So they did that was the milk bank shortly after they'd learned that their, their older son had a diagnosis of rhabdomyosarcoma and that he was going to have challenges ahead of him. So that's where he was raising funds for Make-A-Wish. So, you know, you have my friend and, and his family that are obviously grieving and it was hard to be with them during during those moments. But, um, you know, outside of that, he has shown true strength and that this the, these things will not define me, that I will still lead a life in which I give back because that's you know how I want my sons to, to grow up. And that's how I want to interact with this world. And I'm like just over the moon thankful that that he's my friend and that I could be there for him. And I don't even know if I helped him, but he has helped me tremendously uh-huh. to do to do Ironman. That that race was probably the easiest thing I had ever done because of the reason we were doing it. Yeah, yeah, and like, I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a a great book about um, just endurance sports called How Bad Do You Want It? And um, are you looking up the author? I can see you I, googling. I I, I, I fear our connection. Uh, Went a, went a little bad there for a second. Um, but now, nah, yeah, so, yeah, I, I can't remember the other. He wrote uh, How Bad You Want It. It was a phenomenal book. He also wrote um, The Greatest Day Race Ever Run about Iron War, uh, Iron Man World Championship in 1989, which is a great story. But in How Bad Do You Want It, he, um, he talks about the data that shows right, when you train for those endurance events, then you get to understand how your body feels. And so when you get to, you know, mile 15 of the Ironman run and your body is breaking down and it feels terrible and everything sucks, um, but because you've done the training, you know, that's how you're supposed to feel. You can actually carry on. But when you get to a place in endurance running or endurance sports and you start to think that this isn't how I'm supposed to feel, that I'm not supposed to feel this way, um, then your, your performance just goes down precipitously. And the same thing applies in all facets of our life. When you start to question, is this how I'm supposed to feel? You know, your, your performance and your ability to cope just, um, just isn't there. Um, and, and so I, I think there's just so many parallels, like you said, between endurance racing and everywhere, um, you know, every other part of our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I read Iron War. Amazing story. I also, yeah, I read uh, Chris McCormick's book, also Maca, uh, mm-hmm. while he was at the you know the the peak of his career. And in his book, he said to be successful in this sport and in life, you got to learn to embrace the suck. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I was like, that's very true. Like you know, it's coming. You know, it's going to hurt. And he said, and you can fight it and pretend it's not there, or 
you can welcome it in, you can sit down with it and you can get to know it. And it's going to be a lot easier to cope with it if you're welcoming it and studying it and trying to understand it instead of trying to beat it. Yeah. And anyone that's done any sort of anything hard, like understands that when, when you embrace it and understand that that's a big part of it. Um, And I've, I've been on both sides of that coin, like where you embrace it and you get through it. And other times where you're like, it shouldn't feel this way. It was supposed to be easy. I wanted to do it because it was going to be easy. Um, And then you're just, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. That's so true in so many ways. I'm sure uh, with your podcast, you know, you, you, has you created it? Has I'm creating this. I was like, Oh, it's, it's going to play out in this way. And there was, you know, things that along the way it pivoted and it's becoming so much better than I ever could have thought it, it, it could have been. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's because I'm not fighting what it's becoming. I'm kind of just going along with it and try, being curious about it versus trying to wrestle it into my definition of what it should be. I'm trying to just follow wherever it goes. Are you experiencing that with fatherhood on fire? Yeah. Um, actually I just kind of gave up, um, early, early, late January. I was just like, man, I just got to like, let the reins go and just have a lot more fun with this thing. Uh, reconnected with my first guest, um, who really kind of relit my fire, but yeah, to be honest, man, the first six months, I really wanted it to be what I wanted it to be. And, um, it was, it became to be just a drag and a struggle. And like, I'm really happy to hear that you're letting the, the reins go early. Um, Cause you have to, especially if you're going to do an interview format, mm-hmm. um, you've got to have kind of your core principles, which you've done a great job of nailing down. For me, it was super vague at start. It was celebrate fathers who inspire us, um, elevate the conversation on fatherhood. I don't know what that means. That's like super loaded. And then, um, you know, in encouragement, embracing their roles, which are all good things, but it's not conducive to like, what are we really focusing on? So through, 20 interviews, the conversation constantly came to faith, Christian faith, um, family, obviously, um, career and fitness, because those are the things that are important to me. So I decided to just kind of really focus in on those things. But um, like you said, how do they all integrate and play out? Um, Because partially, historically, in my personal life, I've compartmentalized um, to my own detriment. Um, And I know many other fathers have as well. Um, you know, for so many of us, it's so much easier to talk about our career than our family, um, Mm -hmm. or our career than our faith or our career than our fitness goals. Um, and so trying to create a a platform and and an opportunity to get those on a a more integrated playing field, like you said, the seamless self, when we, when we connected, um, trying to bring, bring all those components of our life into a, a more healthy way while still being respectful of, uh, you know, other people's faiths and ambitions and, and health goals um, and and provide just an opportunity to share that. And it's been awesome. Like you said, the last couple of months of just embracing what it's become and uh, just having really candid conversations around those tough, you know, issues to, to integrate. Yeah. And I think in some ways, you, your story of how these four things have lived in silos of each other. Like, you know, this is how I show up at work. And I, when I'm at work, I have to be this person. And when I'm practicing my faith, this is how I show up here. And when I'm practicing my faith, this is the person I have to be versus when I'm at home, 
and with my family versus when I'm out logging miles, you know, there are multiple different hats that you feel you have to take on and take off as you're interacting with these different touch points of your life. And that's not sustainable. And really, you're not present in any one of those things because you're just moving through that role that you think you have to play versus trying to integrate all those things and to bring them into the uh, into one another so that they overlap. And it's hard to, um, you know, differentiate. So in some ways, take take the sport of endurance running that has an element of faith to me because, you know, it's how I uh, and obviously fitness but that's the community that I belong to. And, you know, I don't just run and whatnot, but I volunteer at um, packet pickup events and try to give back through that. So there's a part of philanthropy and that oftentimes comes out of where the person practices their faith. So it's their altruism. Well, I try to use running to speak publicly about my running journey. And I try to volunteer and I try to encourage um through through that sport so it's not you know here's how i practice my faith and here's how i practice my fitness but i'm trying to find ways to bring those two things together that's awesome yeah that's a good way and and honestly i need to to do more of that like um yeah i i kind of reject i didn't want to be seen as just a triathlete or just a just a runner so i like kind of repressed that side of my identity because when you when you do an iron man like people look at you like you're a crazy person there's there's yes. no like getting away from from that um so it's kind of something i was like man like i'm not, I'm not crazy i just think this is a cool thing to go do i agree with you it is a super cool thing to yeah if you, if you want to race like go do a 5k if you want to experience what it's like to live and suffer and be at the brink of uh of your all your reserves have them completely depleted and still find a way to keep going. Uh, if you want to do that, then Iron Man. Now, I don't, I don't know where you are on the spectrum of what's beyond Iron Man. Um, in some ways, I didn't pick Iron Man like it, it picked me. My wife did it first. She put a lot of yeah. pressure on me, and then you know the events that had played out in my roommate's life and um, the goals that he'd set for himself. I wanted to be part of that, so it came calling, and I just said yes to it because I could have resisted it and I could have said uh-huh. no. And this isn't where I wanted to take my my running career, um, but I just went with it, and I had so much fun. And now I'm I'm asking, well, where where does this endurance world take me next? And just being curious about ultras and things like that. And my wife's getting curious about it, so she's the executor in our relationship. So she's going to do one, and that means I'm going to do one eventually. So have you looked at those yet? Yeah. So actually, um, now having Claire and our family in a second, um, I've actually decided to, to step away from triathlon cause I can throw Claire in the running stroller and spend some time with her. And so I'm going to focus on trail running and I'm definitely, um, I guess reluctantly like curious about, about the ultra distance and trail running. Um, and I think just, you know, being in a, a technology role, I spend, you know, the majority of my working day staring at a screen or, or talking with people about technology. And I, I have a huge appreciation for connecting with the natural world. And so trail running becomes kind of a forced outlet to, to spend time in nature, 
you know, in God's creation. Um, so that's, that's where I'm going to take my running and endurance career next. Um, so I'm excited about that, but I've got a buddy who did, I think a hundred miler last year. Um, he was actually one of my second guests, uh, one of my early guests, I think third. And, um, yeah, it just sounds miserable beyond miserable. <laughs> um, I've talked to Ironman finishers who then transitioned into ultra sports and they're like, you think you're ready, but running 50 miles is, is just a whole different beast than, mm-hmm. than Ironman. Cause you, you can, you can, you can cruise on the bike pretty easily. Um, I mean, you can hammer it down and really hurt yourself, but, um, 50 miles on foot is, is a lot. And then you get beyond yeah. that. It's, um, yeah, you can't, dangerous. Yeah. yeah, you can't, uh, just keep your feet on the pedals and co- coast on the downhill in a 50 yeah. mile run. <laughs> yeah. There's no reprieve. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can tell that, you know, that you're finding ways to bring fitness and family together. So the, the stroller and getting Claire out with you and just role modeling for her to make time for family, but to make time for fitness is part of the things that, you know, that we're, we're doing through taking on these big challenges is to role model for our boys that you got to carve out time and you got to work hard for any goal that you want to achieve. and you can't have excuses. You know, Carolyn, my wife, when we had our twins within a year of the twins being born, she became an Ironman. And in that time, you know, she could have made up excuses of, you know, there's two of them and I'm responsible for nursing and caring for them. And I don't sleep good at night and I've got a career and I've got, I've got, I've got, and instead of playing that game, she says, I want this. I want a role model for these boys to work hard. I want to, achieve these fitness goals for myself i you know i want to put pressure on my husband and make him look bad because (laughs) i'm more competitive than he is or whatever her motivations might have been but you know i think you combining family and fitness is good role modeling to say don't give up on these things like you Mm -hmm. can have both and it's you know claire may not understand it now but as she's older and you're obviously going to continue to include her in your fitness i think um she'll not even know uh, it'll just become part of her life and how awesome is that because i didn't i didn't have the role modeling of fitness from my parents i did uh work hard for your career my parents were and still are extremely hard workers and uh, they've built businesses and they are um, tremendous leaders and that's the role modeling i saw but i didn't really get to see the role modeling of on the weekend you know go out and run and things like that. So I, I think, you know, for me, I want to role model that for my kids and you're obviously doing it for Claire. Yeah. I think the role modeling is definitely uh, an aspect and, and honestly, Claire's a really good coach for um, my, my high intensity workouts. She's not great for any sort of recovery. She just sits on the stroller and is just faster, faster, faster. Yes. Um, so it's definitely like a role modeling. Um, well, I, I think it's so important for, for parents to maintain a sense of their own identity outside of just being a parent. Um, I, I, we see so many parents fall into that trap where their identity is totally consumed by their child's performance and what their, what their kid does. And, and so for me, it's important to remain not just active, but competitive. And like you said, setting goals. So, um, you know, for me this year, I want to go sub 145 on a trail half marathon, which would be a feat for me. My PR on road is 140. Um, so, um, 
staying competitive, staying aggressive and ambitious um, and not getting lax in, in my own ambitions, I think is the one of the big parts of that role modeling um, for kids is not just being active, but setting goals and going after them um, with intent. Um, so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and knowing that you may not achieve them. And I, I think and sometimes people are hesitant to set a goal uh, because they're not confident they can get there. Well, mm-hmm. one we know from uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, which they are teaching to my six-year-old. So there are schools that use the leader in me uh, curriculum. So uh, his name's Hagen. He knows how to put first things first and sharpen the saw and how to establish smart goals and things like that. So, you know, he and I, we have a similar language. And when it comes to marathoning, my very first marathon, I wrote a smart goal because I'm a nerd. But a lot of people, when it comes to any goal, they won't put it on paper and they won't try to articulate it because then it becomes real and serious which can be motivating, but it can also be really, really scary because once you commit to it, if you fail to achieve it, then you've failed. But I think there's even good role modeling there of how you handle failure once you don't achieve a goal you've set for yourself, either personally or professionally or in any other context. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it's something that like when you get so far into endurance sports, you just kind of start doing races. And I felt guilty to that trap. I was like, eh, especially having a kid. And but sometimes you need those seasons in your life. But so I'm excited to get back to a place where we're setting goals. And um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's something that I've kind of been rolling around with on the family side. And we've had some guests who who bring this up. Like we're really good at setting goals in our fitness pursuits and in our professional pursuits and in our faith pursuits of you know daily Bible studies, um, whatnot. And but like setting goals with and for our family is something that I think most people don't do and something that we're kind of struggling to do. You know, some, my wife and I ask once every, every week or so, I was like, what do we really want our family to accomplish? Like, what are we mm-hmm. trying to do as a family? Um, and it's, it's a tough thing to ask because a, like you said, how do you measure it and quantify it? Um, and like, what if you fail? Like, what if you set a goal for your family and fail? What does that say about us as parents, as us mm-hmm. as people? Um, and you know, how do you cope with that? So, um, yeah, that's something that is important. And I hope to be able to start to bring some resources through Father on Fire and bring some of that, you know, some, some family goal setting sheets and worksheets that people can do and for fathers to be more present. Um, cause that's one of the biggest pieces of advice and one of the, biggest challenges that fathers face is to be present in the face of everything else that they're trying to get done. Yeah. I think in the, in the, all of those elements of the life, I want to return to that. Let's be a whole person and a seamless person. And like those goals, you may say, Hey, this is my faith goal or my fitness goal or my family goal. But if you roll them all up, the overarching goal is the impact that you make as an individual and the purpose by which you lead your life or the amount of love in which you gave in your life and things like that. So there's those, you know, individual goals, but there's that overarching bigger goal of, you know, what what impact am I making? I have a, a, a good mentor uh, who helped me kind of get this whole thing started and to take the leap. 
and he really changed my way of thinking about success because in my career, I have a degree in finance. So I was measuring like KPIs, key performance indicators and ROI, return on investment. So a lot of data, hard, hard measures to say, this is why I'm successful. I said, yeah, I don't doubt that. He's like, but what are you doing that is significant? And he's like, mm-hmm. if you want to be good at this, you have to learn how to put significance over success and start to think about the impact that you're having on the people that you're leading through these projects or the learners in your classroom or whatever. Be thinking about your significance more than your success, because you got to be thinking about more ways you can give than you can uh, and then then you're going to get it's like those that give more get more. And it's like, if you're all you're focusing on is success, you're thinking about how do I get? So yeah. significance is more about how do I give? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So with all of my guests, we ask like, how has being a father made you a better professional? And with our younger guests, it's typically very practical, very pragmatic. It's, um, you know, like, well, my priorities are honed in. Um, I've gotten really good with time management. I'm super focused when I need to be so I can get my work done and go home to present. With our older guests, it's it's much more macro level. And one of the best ones was with recent guest, Marty Samples, who uh, began his career in ministry for um, at at-risk youth transitioned into technology um and his he's got a daughter pursuing a phd and a daughter used to county manager and um so apple kind of fell far from the tree twice um he was a and you know what we, i can attribute that to is what he said you know his advice was and what's made him better is to be a student of your child's design and he applied that in his leadership as a professional like everyone he leads he wants to understand who they are and what their goals are. Um, and that's how he's found success as a professional and how he's found success leading his family um, is to try to break down and get away from expectations that maybe the church might have put on his family when he was a minister um, and just really create an environment of love and encouragement and just understanding who the people are that he's trying to lead. Um, and so trying to embrace that, um, that mindset and that philosophy is, as we lead our family and as, as, you know, I lead, um, professionally and, and in fitness and faith as well, um, is, is huge, Tom. Yeah. That, the insights that that guest had shared was something I wish that I would have understood when I was younger. So, and there's probably a lot of young professionals who are still, and uh, impressed or formed by their education and their early career. And, you know, in some ways, like, I don't know if I could have understood these things uh, in, until like I actually had the capacity to experience them. My dad always says like, you can't teach what can only be learned. So like maybe in business school, they talked about the importance of empathy and your role as a leader to create pathways and to help people see the best in themselves. Maybe they said those things, but like I took leadership as being authoritative and decisive and a good executor or goal oriented uh, because that's what I thought the books told me I should be doing. So that's how I showed up was based on those expectations that uh, the education created for me. And that's how I led individuals. And along the way, you know, I felt that I didn't like being led in that way. And I I had a lot stronger relationship with my leader when they knew who I was as a person. And over time, like those things 
those tasks I were doing or those activities I were doing became less and less important. And the people I was doing them with became more important. And I learned to uh, measure relationships and and to build relationships. And uh, I had a mentor who said like, your relationships are the currency of the future. Like the, the people you know now and the trust that you've created with them, that's going to help you your entire life. And, you know, like, Initially, he had to say that many times because I couldn't really <laughs> grasp something that profound when I was young. But uh-huh. now looking back on it, I'm so glad that individuals had patience with me to allow me to get the life experiences I needed to understand how to show up and to just be present and to enjoy that experience and to enjoy the people I was having that experience with. And man, I, I feel like I don't have to work as hard anymore. It actually feels more like play than work. and. You know, that leader, he, he didn't call us his team. He called us his work family and stuff like that. So, you know, that's a, uh, just a, what your friend had said. That's so profound. And I'm, I'm glad there's so many leaders out there. I'm, I'm hopeful that we can have more young leaders that can think and act in that way. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. I think there's going to be kind of the double-edged sword where I think it is becoming really trendy. Um, and, and Marty hit on this as well, that emotional intelligence has come to the forefront. So um, everyone's talking about it and everyone's quote unquote doing it. Um, and, uh, but like, are people doing it well? And I know you're a fan of conscious capitalism and reading through it um, right now. And, you know, he really drives home the point that if it's a bolt on, you know, aspect to meet some business ends, then it's not going to be effective. Um, and, you know, but if you really apply it, like you said, and really invest in those relationships, um, then you're going to see it. And like you said, like relationships with the currency of the future influences is really the currency of the future. You know, if you can influence 10 people, then you can get so much more done, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you do that. So it's, uh, it's, I think, an exciting time you know, for all of us as we embrace a, a seamless self and, um, you know, really get to know each other as people. And then we can serve our clients better. We can serve our employers better. We can serve our teammates better um, we'll, when we understand who they want to be um, as a whole person and not just, you know, check the boxes and get the tasks done. Yes. And you'll serve them in a way that is more self-serving in some ways. Like, you know, by giving someone else service and showing up for them we benefit from that as well oh yeah a hundred percent um you know i think it back to my my camp experience like you know the, the kids were there for seven days we were there for three months just soaking it in and serving them and growing as people um and and now you know a ton of camp professionals going on to do awesome things they're lawyers and doctors and leading and starting you know podcasts about fatherhood and other just wonky stuff because they just see the benefit and the value that they can bring to the world and themselves through serving others yes yeah i'm i'm so glad that you've taken time out of your day to to come and nerd out with me and to talk about you know your passion specifically about you know, how fathers can be more seamless. But I think outside of just fathers, you believe that this is important for every individual. Um, But you're creating tools, you're creating resources to help fathers um, obtain those things. So I I think that's cool because there is, in some ways, I don't know if it's like a stigma or there's this 
you know, gap that we have to cross because my parents, like the way they parented was through being providers and working hard and creating a better opportunity for me. And I'm like beyond grateful because of the sacrifices they made. I was able to attend a university and better myself. Um, However, now that that effort energy and like, the way my parents parented has put positioned me to like be the person I am. Like my tendencies want to parent in that same way. The reality reality is, is for my kids, like their needs are going to be very different than what my needs were as a kid. So I can't just provide for my kids by working excessively hard and bringing home stability in the form of a paycheck, but I have to provide for them in different ways because the world that they interact with, it was very different than the world I did. Like the risk for me as a kid to have obesity or depression or anxiety or suicide in, in the time where I was a teenager, like those things, like no one I knew smoked cigarettes when I was little. There was no thing as vaping or juuling or whatever. So like, they, it just seems like our, our children are under more attack and yeah i'm sure our parents had concerns and they thought we were under attack too when we were little and they wanted to to protect us and defend us but i think you know we had it easy as kids and our kids they've got they're gonna have unique challenges and to prepare them we have to parent in different ways than our parents did and it can't just be by having a really good career that allowed us to make a really reasonable living and one of our guests um Actually, uh, Meredith, she's the editor-in-chief of Working Mother Magazine. Um, she broke it down. So she was, ask your kids what they need. Like, ask your kids what they need from you. I said, does that work with a one-year-old? She goes, oh, you're going to have to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says, I've got a, she had a five-year-old at the time. I said, what do you need? And said, I need you to read me a book and tuck me in at night. Like, you know, we, we as parents think that our kids need so much from us. Um, but I think oftentimes it is that simple. They, they need you to read a book and, and tuck you in at night, or they need you to, to go for a walk and listen to what they're saying. Um, so I think you're right on in it. There are some, like, I'm horrified of the screen situation um, that, that we're, you know, facing as parents. I'm excited about the opportunities it presents and where technology improves our lives for sure. Um, but there's, you know, access to, to certain information at, at too young an age and just all the different threats that, that you, you know, kind of hinted at jeweling and vaping and, and all those things and how we navigate those um, is, is a challenge that, that we have to step up to as parents um, of the, the many things that we have. And, and I hope we do those together. I think one of the biggest things I've found is that a lot of fathers and parents feel like they have to parent alone and, and in a silo and in a competitive way. Um, and, um, and it's, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, obviously I'm a competitive person, so I appreciate competitiveness, but like, you know, if you don't have other parents that you can confide in and be vulnerable with, um, and really bounce ideas off of, to measure where you're at, then we take on these perceived expectations of how we should be performing as parents that are wholly unattainable. Um, Mm -hmm. and we just drive ourselves crazy and it is to our children's detriment. Um, and, but you know, if we can just let those down and, you know, be a student of their design and ask them what they need and 
just parent them that way, I think we're going to find just so much more satisfaction in our own parenting journey. Yeah, that is something that I think is hugely important for people listening to this to try to take away is like, don't compare yourself. That's easy to do. And I, and a lot of individuals have online personas in which their lives appear to be perfect and the meals they make look exactly like the Pinterest post did and the trip they went on, it never rained. The weather was perfect the whole time. So, you know, if that's all you're soaking up as a parent, you're really not consuming reality and you have to create relationships with other parents that will tell you what the reality is. And I think it'll, it's been just a tremendous help for my wife and I to pick up the phone whenever we're facing a challenge and just have the conversation versus trying to be resourceful and go online and figure those things out because what we're looking at there probably isn't going to help us. If we followed those directions, it actually may make things worse. And I've always benefited from being able to talk to other parents about peanut allergy. So we have a kid that we're afraid is going to feel left out his entire life because um, during lunch or class parties or whatever. And, you know, that's us thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to feel left out. And then when we talk to him, he's like, eh, he doesn't like, it doesn't impact him. Like it impacts us more than it impacts him. And I think that's the other part is like, just love your kid for who they are and not for uh-huh. who you want them to become. And that's huge too. And I think once, once you put yourself in that space and you start to talk to them and you learn how they identify themselves, you quit trying to imprint who you are on them and like they will amaze you. And um, I've, I've probably learned more as a person by watching how my kids soak up the world and the ease in which they do it in and the fun that they have as they do it, where I'm able to take things a little less serious and be the goofball that I naturally am that I felt that I had to kill when I turned 18. I'm like, no, you're entering the business world now. Like you got to act like an adult. Like, no, that's, I call myself an improvement nerd and like people got a response out of that. And the only reason I did is because like my kids gave me the confidence that I could be who I was meant to be because that's what they were doing. And I'm like, man, I got to hold on to that. I got to hold on to that for myself. I got to, I want to hold on to it for them so that they can, you know, always, have a a life that's full of joy instead of try to fit a life according to a role or an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so key too. like, you know, kids just have fun, you know, like Claire and I just, we were in an underpass that had a bird painted on it and she lost her mind. It was like the coolest (laughs) thing you had ever seen. And I've ran past that um, a hundred times now. And I don't give it a second thought and, it was the coolest thing in the world to her. So we stayed in there and we played echo games and um, just, just really enjoyed, enjoyed life together for that little 30 minute window. Um, And I I think that's another thing that like, we don't, um, we kind of put that away when we turn 18, whatever, and get into the business world. But we don't, I, I think a lot of times let people know how much we love being parents and like how much we love being dads. Um, I think there's a maybe a stigma or, or whatnot about being an engaged father. Um, but I think, you know, when you do it, you, you get to love it. Yeah. I, I think that's with any role, just using the word love is sometimes scary because if you commit that much into it, if it ever goes away, 
you know, you will suffer loss for sure. But you know, the, if you didn't love it while you had it, you really never experienced it in the first place. So the like, love your job and, and love the sport you participate in or love your family and using words like that. Yeah. They put place value on it and value that you're at risk of losing someday. Um, but I think there's some things where you just got to push all your chips in on and like, it's, it's worth it. And the thing, your faith, but you've talked about faith, family, um, your career and your, your fitness. Those are places you should push your chips all in and say, these are the things I love and I'm going to risk it all to experience these things wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. You hit the nail on the head. Um, and I, you're right. A lot of times we don't want to do that. We, we want to shy away. We want to hedge our bets. Um, people like act like, you know, their kids are a burden or whatever. And I'm like, you're lying. You love your kids and you know it like get a, get out of here with that. Um, so, but it's tough not to get sucked into that. Cause you're right. It is a safety mechanism. You know, that we're, guarding ourselves from from future pain and potential pain and, and there's historical precedent for that because you know there was a time when most kids um did not survive to 10 um this is you know back um in you know um bc and in greek and roman uh times and, but they also were, were overcoming those and uh so that's kind of a wild tangent but uh you know there's there's some precedent for that fear uh, that's not totally un uh, unwarranted but is certainly worth 100% worth working past and mm-hmm. going all in on yeah that was really nerdy but <laughs> it it there's a lot of people who have researched it and um the the hijacking so when your subconscious takes over um you know like I think Brené Brown, she does a great job of storytelling and, you know, she'll talk about a period in life where her daughter's going to prom or, or something like that. And they get in the car and they go away instead of being happy that my daughter is going to get this life experience automatically. She starts to account for all the things that can go wrong about car accident or the car breaking down. And, you know, just as soon as you see something joyful, like your mind in some ways flips the switch and automatically starts to think about the worst case scenario. And she said, this is, this is something you really can't control. It's your subconscious. This has been programmed into us has a part of how people have lived their lives before us. And these things happen automatically, like the fear or fear, um, the fight or flight kind of thing. That's another thing like, yeah, our, our risk of being eaten by a bear in society is super, super low, but it wasn't at one point. Mm-hmm. And in order to survive, we had to have this subconscious part of our minds take over and either position us to flee or to fight. And those things, they still happen today, even when there's not a real or evident threat, like our amygdalas kick on and we have a hijacking. And as a result, we're fearful for no reason. And we have anxiety and, you know, they're just kind of in Brené's and all these experts opinions, like those things, they're going to continue to happen, but you have to know why they're happening, know that they are happening and, and then allow your actual thinking brain to kick back on. And if you, yeah. So what you said is totally like, yeah, it's true. We react in certain ways and we can't explain it, but it's always going to happen. And we just have to understand that they're going to happen and know when they are. And 
be present enough to, to um, allow ourselves to, to detect it's happening and then to find a way to stop it. Yeah, I think it's only going to get harder because we have more and more stimuli coming our way um, that our, our brain is not going to develop nearly as fast as um, YouTube videos get uploaded. That's I'm confident in that. Um, so being able, being cognizant of those things and being able to get ourselves back to a place um, is going to be a, a huge challenge for us in, in raising our kids and, and navigating the new business economy. So Yeah, yeah. I, I just think this conversation has been a lot of fun and uh, we've wandered, we've talked about endurance sports and we've talked about charity running. We've talked about, you know, your violent, your experience and in, in practicing faith and watching individuals walk with their faith as they face big challenges. I mean, this episode has just been um, huge and I, I, it's hard to sum up, but I think if I were to try, like it's to take the risk for those things that, you really put place value on whether it's your career or your faith or your family or your fitness is to set the goals put it out in the universe and to risk it all because if you if you don't take that initial step none of it's going to happen yeah yeah i'll take that um i i agree it's and it's scary like, I'm not going to sit here and, and just say like, yeah, that's it. Just do it. Take, <laughs> just your, do that. take your goals and put them out in the universe and, and you'll succeed. Like, I think Brene Brown, like you mentioned, she does a great job. Like, you will fail. Um, <laughs> it's not go risk failure. It's you will fail. Um, and, um, you know, from my experience in my career and you didn't have awesome conversations through Father Don't Fire. Um, that's the recurring theme is like his dad's like, you have to accept that you're going to fail every day uh, in your mind and your kid's mind. But, you know, when you, when you walk by, by faith, that's the beauty, man. You get to wake up the next day um, and, and give it another shot and go all in another day. Yes. What an awesome message that you've shared for the people who are listening and they want to find you and, and follow your podcast. What are, what are ways that they can get connected with you? Yeah. So you can listen to father on fire um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google play, um, Spotify. Um, you can find us at father on fire.com and uh, you can email me at Ryan at fatherhood on fire.com. Um, and if you got business questions, need um, technology help, you can contact me at Ryan Sullivan at c2consulting.com. And Father on Fire is on all the socials. Awesome. Yeah, I hope individuals, you know, were inspired by this episode and that they reach out and you're able to meet those individuals where they are in their life and help them. But I, I know that you'd welcome them into your life because in doing that, they're going to help you. I, I just love the way that you view how individuals grow as people is to allow themselves to rely on other people. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent steel, sharpened steel. Awesome, man. All right. Well, I'm going to bring our episode to a close. I can't thank you enough for being with us today. Um, thanks for nerding out, man. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Thanks for having me.